Some of you may have received my email, and some of you may be on our Facebook, some of you may not. So I thought I would just introduce this series by reading to you what I wrote to introduce it, so you'd know if you didn't have a chance what's coming. <clears throat> the name of this series is titled Loving Better. Loneliness has become an epidemic in our country. On the one hand, we're more technologically connected than ever before in ways that much of our daily life revolves around connectedness through social media. While at the same time, more and more people report feeling lonely, isolated, and alone. Almost 60% of married couples report this in their marriage. Young people report this feeling even though they have hundreds of Facebook friends. People have a longing to be loved and to be known, to be understood by other human beings. This can also happen in our church. This series will explore how we can love one another better. Jesus commanded us to love one another. Love is, in fact, one of the central themes of the New Testament. Paul tells us that the great virtues, of all the great virtues, love is the greatest. In this series, we're going to try to discover how to grow in being a person who can love better in an emotional way with others. We'll discuss how to empathize with others, how to develop a loving and tender heart, how can we ourselves learn to be more vulnerable and connect more deeply with our friends in Christ? How can we become a more understanding person? <clears throat> That's what we're going to talk about. I see this as a huge need, and I want, to, I want to make a couple things clear. You know, so some of you don't know me, so I just turned 61 a few weeks ago. So I've been at this Christian thing for 42 years of my life. I am not naturally actually a relational person. <clears throat> when I got out of high school, in fact, the last thing I wanted was any relationships. I was a loner in high school. I had lots of musical parts in the dramas. I was very athletic. I didn't go to one party, one kegger. I would walk to movies late at night. I saw the Billy Jack movies, all the Charles Bronson movies. I would walk by myself sit through both showings of the same movie, and walk home. <clears throat> when I graduated from high school, I took off and hitchhiked. I actually did go with a friend. He eventually decided to leave the road and go to law school. I continued hitchhiking on my own. I liked being on my own. <clears throat> my desire, uh, and of course, God has a wonderful sense of humor. I am, my life is today all about people, God and people. But at the time, um, I'm hitchhiking. What I really wanted to do <clears throat> was live in northern Idaho or northern Montana or in British Columbia. The, I liked Colorado, but it was way too touristy, getting too crowded. Homestead land, live off the land, and basically be off the grid. Um, and, 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 and even as I would hitchhike, and I talked to myself, I still do. By, by the way, did you know that people talk to themselves They've discovered are more intelligent. I just thought you'd find that interesting. It's a scientific fact. I didn't pull that out of the clouds. Google it. You'll find out. <clears throat> anyway, I didn't, wasn't really talking to God. I just kind of talked to myself. But like I was talking to God, I just told him, I'm just sick of the human race. I'm sick of human beings. I'm just sick of human beings. People are so duplicitous. They're so mean. They're cruel. And, and they're high maintenance and... Well, to be really blunt, I think I was just really selfish, proud, self-centered. Well, then God 
saved me through a very difficult set of circumstances. And, and I mean, he just, uh, it's like Ryan, somebody flipped a switch. Somebody flipped a switch in me. God flipped a switch in my life. And he changed me. He changed me. Like overnight, he changed me. I began to realize that, my gosh, God loves the human race. I don't deserve his love. He loved me. And now the Bible, of course, tells us as I began to read my Bible that the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart, that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And all of a sudden, I started to care. I started to care. And I, and I really did care. And I'll never forget just those early days Relationships I began to develop with people that I'm being really honest with you, I would have never had a relationship with. Because I wouldn't have thought they were cool enough, they were worthy enough. That was the extent of my arrogance. And God began to change my life. And so I'm still a work in progress. I want you to know that. But but I have learned some things over the last 42 years, 38 of those and a half. Being married, four kids, 11 grandchildren, all the complicated situations that I've been in, thousands of people that I've met and dealt with in my life. There's some things as I've read my Bible and I've sought to grow and I've asked God to change me because he needed to change me. I've learned some things that I thought might be helpful if I passed them on. It's not an exaggeration I t when I say to you guys, you really are my life. I really, really love you. I really care about your lives and, and your families and your children and your marriages and your singleness and your future and what goes on in your life. One of the greatest joys in my life is opportunity I have, whether it's our communication and emails. Some of you know we communicate pretty extensively back and forth through emails. So the times that I get to sit down with you for coffee and just share life and listen to what's going on in your life. I have a very fatherly affection for you. Most of you are young enough to be my children. Not all of you. But it doesn't matter. I still have this fatherly affection. I want your good. I want your best. I realize life is really hard. And it throws you some really tough curveballs. I realize so many of you have had some really difficult things happen in your life that you didn't deserve. Some, sometimes I've thought to myself, you've probably heard me say this once, I've said it many times, but I, I know some of you have had a very difficult upbringing. It's sometimes it's, I walk away and think I wouldn't have even call that an upbringing. It was such a cruel set of circumstances in which you grew up. And I thought to myself, you know, Lord, I just wish I had the money to buy James Hill Mansion on Summit Avenue. It's the only one I've been in before. It's got 32 bathrooms. That would probably cover all of us. And, uh, you know, Lord, I could just adopt a bunch of young people and start over and sort of it'd be a new family. But that's what we are in the Lord, not literally your father. But I have those feelings toward you, and I want you to know that. I'd like to start off with a couple observations this evening that I've made. Um, a lot has changed since I got out of high school, obviously. I like to tease people and tell them, you know, I graduated last century. I was born last century. It feels that old to me sometimes. The world has changed, and yet the world has not changed. People have changed, and yet they haven't. They're still just as broken and in need of love and care as they ever have been. 
But our culture's changed, and I, and, I, and I just want to pass on some observations. I want to be a little delicate because I realize I have children in here tonight. I'd probably be a little more graphic if I didn't, did not. But, but I've come to realize as I look out on American society, and I've tried to explain this and make sense to you, we've, come, we've become quite shallow. In fact, I have observed that, that people, without knowing it, and I, I don't think it's necessarily anyone's fault. I think it's like that old frog, that story, the frog in the kettle. If you take a kettle of water, you take your little pet frog, don't do this, kids, and you put him in the cold water, and then you slowly turn on the heat. Little by little, he'll just stay there, and you boil him to death. He just doesn't realize what's going on around him. But here's what I've observed. I've observed that one of the great reasons we have a porn epidemic is because so many people prefer the fake and the instant gratification rather than the real and the meaningful yet sometimes complicated emotionally relationship with their spouse. I've noticed this with food. I don't want to, I don't, please know, you're going to have to decide what you eat. But I want you to understand this. We have an epidemic. We have become accustomed to fake food. In a box, highly processed, it's easy to rip open, we can stuff it in our face. Instead of taking a little extra work to cut up an apple or, or make something nutritious that takes a little extra work, we don't do it anymore. We become accustomed to the fake, the quick, and the easy, and the convenient. But I've especially noticed this in relationships. We see in the exponential expansion of social media addiction that allows us to have many shallow, many shallow superficial friends or shallow quick conversations rather than deep meaningful connections to others that are close to us. We spend a lot of time without realizing it, see? See, but I, I do the studies. I read the studies. I don't pull this stuff out of the air. I want you to know that. It's not like Mark's some old man and he just pines for days gone by. I read the observations of sociologists and the research that's going on in this day and age. We spend an inordinate amount of time on shallow and relatively small amount of time on building deeper, more meaningful, emotionally deep, connected relationships. We have been conditioned to value quick, easy, and convenient over more important values. <clears throat> I see this especially true in marriages and fathers with their kids. I see this also impacting the church and our relationships with others. I'd like to read you an article. I have a couple things here tonight. So, in case you were wondering why millennials are lonely, I didn't make the title. I just want you to know that. One reason the internet makes us lonely is we attempt to substitute real relationships with online relationships. Though we temporarily feel better when we engage others virtually, these connections tend to be superficial and ultimately dissatisfying. Online social contacts are not an effective alternative for offline social interactions, sums up one lead study. 
In fact, the very presence of technology can hinder genuine offline connection. Simply having a phone nearby caused pairs of strangers to rate their conversation as less meaningful, their conversation partner as less empathetic, and their new relationship as less close than strangers with a notebook nearby instead. Excessive internet use also increases feelings of loneliness because it disconnects us from the real world. Research shows that lonely people use the internet to feel totally absorbed online, a state that inevitably subtracts time and energy that could otherwise be spent on social activities and building more fulfilling offline relationships. <coughs> In his controversial <coughs> 1970 book, the Pursuit of Loneliness, sociologist Philip Slater, Slater coined the, the toilet assumption theory. Our belief that undesirable feelings and social realities will simply disappear if we ignore them. Slater argued that American individualism and in turn our loneliness is rooted in an attempt to deny the reality of human interdependence. The internet is perhaps the best example to date of our futile attempt to flush away loneliness. I could, I could stand up here and read this stuff all night. I don't really need to. <clears throat> but I, I see that a lot of people are experiencing Loneliness and isolation in their life. They don't feel that there's someone who they trust, who knows them, who takes the time to listen and to understand. <clears throat> One of the things that I have struggled to grow in, and I mean this sincerely, I work at to grow in, is Mark, you got to be a better listener. You got to be a better listener. You got to learn to listen. And it's happened with my relationship with my wife, with my children. Because I was determined. I was determined. You know, I read statistics. <clears throat> I'm not one of those guys who wants to just be the ostrich in the sand. And so I read statistics about how often children turn away from God. <clears throat> Especially how often that happens with pastors' children. And I was desperate to find a way, Lord, how... Can I make sure this doesn't happen? Well, one of the ways that I knew and I began to discover was my children need to feel that they matter to their dad. And my children need to know uh, that they can talk to their dad about anything and that dad would listen and dad would understand and dad would try to understand. That, 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 that they were important enough for me to spend time with because it's so very easy for us as men it's kind of the way we're wired to be really into our vocational path or to be really into ministry. And my gosh, <clears throat> my dad is saving the world. People are dying without Jesus. He'll spend an eternity in hell. What he's doing is really important. Dad can think that. And the next thing you know, <clears throat> your children grow up with the impression that ministry was always more important to me than my dad. Hey, if you could turn the red clock around for me, otherwise I'm going to go till... 12, midnight. No, you don't need to. I see the other one. They have two of them for me now. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> the New Testament, the Bible, as you know, commands us to love one another 
over and over and over, it commands us to love one another. Thessalonians says to excel. Paul says, I know you love each other. And I would say to you rockers, honestly, I know you love each other. I've seen it so many ways. But then Paul goes on to say, but excel still more. Excel more. And so learn to love. I I, I wrote this to myself, Mark. In other words, learn to love better, more Christ-like. Now, I realize as I look back, I'm not that young man I was at 19. <clears throat> a lot has changed in my life. I'm very, very grateful. <clears throat> I also realize there's still that young man in me, those demons, those things that I have to fight against, that I have to choose against. <clears throat> but one of the things I remind myself every day is, Mark, you're not dead yet, you're not with the Lord yet, and you're not in every possible way like your Savior yet. So keep going after Christ. Keep going after to learn, to grow. <clears throat> and I want to, I have a number of things we're not going to get to all of them tonight, <clears throat> but there's a few I really wanted to highlight tonight. What I want to do is try to help you grow in loving better in our relationships with each other <clears throat> and those that are close to you. So you can build a deeper and more meaningful relationship that honors God and genuinely enriches you <clears throat> and blesses your own life. Many times we think of love in physical ways. And what I mean by that is we could give someone a gift or we could give them money when they're going through financial trials. This is great, it's good, and it can really encourage someone. But I want to share this with you honestly. It's one of the easier ways to love people. It's, it's more tangible. It's more practical. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot out of us. Whereas... <clears throat> This verse, I want to read to you in just a moment. <clears throat> we are designed by God to need one another. Did you know that? The, the, even this guy, he was not a believer who wrote this article, Why Millennials Feel Lonely. We fight against interdependence. This is one of the things is when I was hitchhiking, I really fought against. I really fought against. I, I'm just going to be really, I did not want to need anybody. I thought that was kind of weak, <clears throat> and I realized that my heart can get entangled, and then you get stomped on, you get let down, you get betrayed. I don't want to need anybody. So literally, they, it, there was these books in that era. They were called the Foxfire books, and there was these kids, high school kids about my age. Remember, I was coming out of the 60s, the hippie craziness. And there was these kids in Tennessee that decided for a high school project, they would go visit all the old people in their own log cabins in the mountains of Tennessee who knew how to gut a pig, make their own moonshine, hope stand land, uh, do all this special stuff. So they put a book together called the Foxfire Books. You can probably Google that and find them. So I got them, and I was reading them. Just devour. I was a, I was a ferocious reader. I always have been. <clears throat> so I'm just reading them, and I'm like, this is beautiful, man. I'll just carve this with my own two hands. I won't need anybody. Of course, I was wrong. In fact, I was in complete rebellion to God because God created me to need others. The very purpose of marriage. God says, hey, it's not good that man's alone. I'll make a companion for him. And I've realized over the years how much I need Kathy. Uh, Sometimes I know these are those tender moments that a husband and wife share, but you may not have ever seen anybody do this. Sometimes I'll sit by Kathy, I'll be laying next to the bed and grab her hand and I'll look at her with tears in my eyes and say, Kathy, don't you, you can't die on me. 
You guys, you can't die on me. We got to go at the same time. I need you in my life. I do not know what I would do without you in my life. And I mean that. She's just been such an incredible blessing to my life. She's also grown me. She's tested my patience, and I've tested hers. And we've grown deeper together, especially some of the difficult things we've gone through. But this is a verse that I want to build on in this series. It's found in Ephesians chapter 4. We taught it to our children when they were young. If there's any verse in the Bible to memorize, when you think of relationships, this should be it. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, compassionate, Forgive one another just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Follow God's example in everything you do and live a life of love for others. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, compassionate. I looked up the word again. You can look these words up. I look up words all the time. I look up words. I look up words because I want to make sure that I'm never exaggerating a word. But boy, the word kind means understanding, amiable, sympathetic. Empathetic has so many words to it, so many synonyms that are related. That's what I mean. There's synonyms related to it. And then you read the antonyms, which are the opposites, and that helps you sometimes realize, wow, Lord, I wanted to develop into this person. I'll give you an example of, uh, I really think the Lord wants us to learn to bear one another's burdens better, to learn to rejoice, you know. And I'm going to share some examples tonight. They're a little embarrassing, some of mine. I don't think sometimes we rejoice very well with people. I'll give you an example of what I mean. <clears throat> so let's say I have a friend. A friend comes to me. You know, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. They're a Christ follower. And they come up to me all enthusiastic. Hey, Mark, Mark, Mark. I'm so excited. I got to tell you what, what happened this week. So what happened? I bought a boat. Bought a boat. Always wanted a boat. Oh, really? You like a rowboat? No, 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 no. A water ski boat, a big boat. Take on Lake Minnetonka. Okay, so, so let, let, let's just be honest. You know what can run through our head? What can run through my head is, really? I mean, was that a good use of the Lord's money? I mean, aren't there better priorities? You know what that's called? You know what that's called? I'm ashamed to admit it. It's called judging each other. And it's really hurtful to relationships. It's really hurtful. It's difficult sometimes. I've seen this. It's so difficult sometimes to really share somebody's joy. But you'll find that if you're not a person who learns to share people's joy, then they'll never usually share their sorrows. One of the questions that I'm always asking myself, and I want you to know this means... um, I ask myself, this is my relationship with you. This is maybe the most important thing to me that I know I must cultivate. Do they trust me? I realize not everybody does. I realize even people over the years of ministry that I've inadvertently hurt. Some I didn't know that I hurt. Just to tell you how sensitive our hearts can grow. So I was at one of our other services this last weekend. This will show you how the Lord wants to tenderize our hearts. <clears throat> so, so, how I got to explain this story. <clears throat> Some years ago, uh, a gal and her guy moved into the old house that we used to live in. I knew them. They started coming to Evergreen, to Evergreen in one of our locations, not here. 
<clears throat> and uh, she came to know the Lord. And then about two years ago, she asked if I would come there and baptize her. I was all excited. I'd recently asked one of the pastors, have you seen so-and-so recently? And he said, no, I haven't, actually. So <clears throat> I was sitting in the back, as I always is my tradition. I sit in the back. I watch people come in. I was waiting to share at Evergreen last week. And I saw this gal walk in with her guy. And so the, they didn't see me. They sat down. The service was going. So the service ended. <clears throat> and I saw her, this person, speaking. She's tall, blonde hair. And there's this big pillar right here. And then... I couldn't get around, and she was speaking to another dear friend that I haven't seen for a while. But I know that person, and they come. And so I, I knew there was going to be all these people, the service ended. So I, I kind of reached around the pillar. I said, hey, Sally. That's not the person's real name. I said, hey, Sally. And in one sense, ignored that other person, that you know, a pastor's wife. And I went, walked around the pillow, pillar, and she came up this gal Sally, and gave me a big hug, and I just told her I was glad to see her. Well, I never then got to go down and say hi to the girl whose conversation I interrupted when she was talking because I got to move. I get there's so much going on. I got home. I sat down at my desk, and I thought, you know, Lord, you know, Lord, that could have been an opportunity for the devil. She might think to herself, yeah, Mark's paying attention to the tall blonde, but he might have ignored me, or why didn't he say hi to me? I fired off an email. I said, dear sister, would you forgive me? I did not mean to ignore you. Here's the background. Here's what happened. I'm behind the pillar. I want you to know you and your husband mean the world to me. She wrote me back this long email. Of course, Mark, it didn't even bother me. And then just went on to share things that I was so touched she would share. When I was younger, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have cared because other people's feelings didn't really matter to me. One embarrassing situation happened to me when I was a young man. I was married to Kathy. <clears throat> we lived in Ames. And one of the pastors was a very dear friend. And I, um, <clears throat> I called over to ask him something. I was uh, 25. We had, a, well, maybe it was 24. We had one child then. And he wasn't there. The wife answered. And I said, oh, is so-and-so there? No, he's not. And there was a pause, and so I did what, you know, is just, I guess you naturally do. I said, well, how are you today? Oh, boy. Well, Mark, um, I just got back from the doctor. I had a miscarriage, um, um, and I'm going to have to go in in a week and have a DNC. For those of you who don't know that, it's like having an abortion. Um, okay, so I'm 24 years old. Uh, my mouth has often got the best of me. I don't really know what to say. So I just said, well, you know, praise the Lord. He'll work all things for good. Uh, there was silence on the other the phone. Uh, she was very gracious, said goodbye. I didn't think much of it, and I got a call later from the husband. He said, Mark, can we talk? I said, yeah, sure. I thought he was just returning my call. Nope, wasn't returning my call. He said, hey, Mark, uh, my wife's been crying for the last hour. I said, oh, I'm sorry. What happened? You. You happened, Mark. And I just kind of melted on the phone. I, I, I didn't. Uh, ignorance. I don't like ignorance. Ignorance. So I'd like to talk to you tonight a little bit about tender-hearted empathy, compassion, and understanding. Um, I'd like to read you a letter. I got permission to read this. 
I wanted to use real life situations. So um, <clears throat> how important empathy is, how important it is to learn to walk in the shoes of others, to be a person who they feel I could share this with you. So some of you know we've had some major racial tension in this city over the last two years, in the nation, but in this city. And <clears throat> we had a couple black men shot. And um, I, <clears throat> I, um, I reached out when this happened to a couple of our um, African attenders at other locations here. Um, and, I, and I just wrote and said, how are you? Would you like to talk? I'm praying for you. Uh, I'm sure this is a very difficult time. <clears throat> One of them wrote me this. I do my best to get, get through this. Uh, yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm really sad this is all happening. I'm sad that two men lost their lives two days in a row. I know cops have a difficult job and they're human too, but I don't think it had to end this way for either man. I've seen both videos. I'm sad that others feel that gives them a right to kill officers though, but I'm afraid. I'm going to open up to you, Mark, about how I really feel. I'm scared. I'm scared the evil actions of the sniper last night will drown out the two black men that lost their lives. From the bottom of my heart, a cop is an honorable job. I've come to learn that more and more each day as I see what they face on a daily basis. I'm very sad that five officers had to die because of someone's evil and hatred. But I'm scared that someone will tie this to all of those who are marching to stop police brutality. I'm scared these two black men will not get justice. I'm scared for my family and friends. I have a cousin, 115 to 120 pounds, skinnier than I am. An officer broke her knee. A male officer broke her knee and gave her three stitches. No, she wasn't innocent, Mark, but she didn't deserve that. I have a friend who I love dearly in the workhouse, something like that. He's out for work, and they pat you down when you return. The person that was supposed to pat him down left and left him there, waiting. <clears throat> he went to sleep on the floor. A superior found him on the floor and asked what he was doing. There, my friend told him the superior did nothing. My friend was there the whole night. I've had black and Latino family and friends patted down, searched, woken up in the middle of the night, taken out of their house, treated terribly by police. The people being treated this way don't feel safe. They feel powerless. There's nothing you can do. I don't tie this to all police officers, Mark. They have a really hard job, and I know that. But I don't know if people know how often things like this, what I've described above, happen. And happened when I was in my community. How they've been happening for years. How people have rules that they give their kids. Rules they pass on because they don't want their child to be shot or killed. Example, don't make quick, quick movements. Keep your hands where cops can see them. Ask or announce what you do before reaching for something. Don't reach towards your waistband. Don't play with the toy gun outside. It all varies depending on who you ask. And of course, there are plenty of traffic cops that stops that end beautifully. In a peaceful way. With many officers treating civilians in a loving way. But even I have a certain set of rules I follow. At times like this, it makes me very aware of the color of my skin, Mark, of ugly history and ugly experiences in my own life. I have to fight to believe that I matter. I have to fight to believe that my life is valuable sometimes. I'm scared I won't see change. That they'll dismiss the death of these two black men under the banner of war on cops. 
or black-on-black crime or something else they say people of color should be focusing on, something they dream or deem more prevalent than the deaths of these two men and many before them. I'm scared that they will not charge the officers involved and it will continue while we continue to endure living by a separate set of rules. As others turn their heads or excuse it away or tell us there had to be something you did or treated that way because whether it's brought up at times like this or whether it's not talked about, I still carry the burden and so do many others. It just gets heavier in times like this at times when I feel discriminated against. That's how I feel, Mark. I hope I didn't offend you. I hope you can try to understand what I'm carrying right now. And I do, and she didn't offend me at all. That's why I think it's important to pray for the church in times like this. God has taught me that everyone thinks their plan pain is so righteous. That what they believe is right and that God is on their side when God sees what we can about each other. And God has really challenged me to love brothers and sisters whose opinions on this issue have been wounding at times when it feels unfair to love them. When I want to retreat to what I know, God calls me back out again. This issue Satan uses to ruin us. I'm not sure how to fix it, but I look to the Bible. This uh, young person is very precious to me. They know that. But understand, they've dealt with the reality that is not common to me, except, except, let me tell you a story. One day I'm standing in the Walmart line. Jessica's very sick. This is probably 14 or 15 years ago. Kathy's with me. <clears throat> you know what? Jessica must have been with us that day because it was her phone or we had her phone. So I get the phone, and the person said, is this Mark Darling? I said, it is. I said, this is Officer so-and-so down in such-and-such town. He said, okay. We have your son right now in handcuffs in the back of our car. You need to come and get him. He's been shooting a gun in the neighborhood. Like, um, now you got to understand, I'm, I'm pretty, um, I go from zero to 60 like that. So my heart's already pounding. I'm like, I, I run and reach to the phone and go, I, there was a number of things I wanted to say. I said, excuse me, ma'am. I know my son. He's never been around a gun in his life. What are we talking about? He's walking around the neighborhood shooting a pellet gun. Okay, so now this is when John Lee Malville and the guys out in Maryland are shooting people. Remember that period? It was during that exact same time when those guys were shooting people on the highway. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I said, okay, we'll be there. Okay. So I was not in a frame of mind, and I acknowledge this, to go get him. My wife did. <laughs> he was at another pastor friend's house because the two boys are close. were walking around the neighborhood, supposedly shooting at trees with a pellet gun. So my son comes home, my youngest, <clears throat> and I am uh, at that moment, uh, not filled with the spirit. Sits down on the couch. What, what are you doing? What, you know, I won't reenact it. It, it was not pretty. It, it, but, it, you can't go around the neighborhood shooting a pellet gun. Then they're shooting people. And so, so here's what happens, right? So it was dad, dad. We're, we're walking around. It's this, it's this toy gun. It's a pellet gun. They said it's a pellet gun. So I don't know the whole story yet. You'll be blown away when you finally hear this story. So, so all of a sudden, we're, I'm walking with my friend. We're just in the street, and I see a cop car. My friends take off, and I just kept walking. 
And the next thing you know, they jump out of the car, their guns are out, and they're pointing at me, get on the ground, get on the ground. I, I, he didn't have anything in his hand. So he lands on the ground. <laughs> they come up, step on him, put handcuffs on the back, put him in the back of the car. Where's your friends? I, I don't know. They took off. I don't know. Where's the gun? Where's the gun? I, I don't know. I have a gun. <laughs> Finally, the other guys came out. They put him in the squad car. <clears throat> so by now, my son's crying. I'm pretty emotional about this whole thing. He reaches in his pocket and he goes, Dad, this is what we were doing. It's a yellow piece of plastic from a spring-loaded little gun that the cop called a pellet gun. Boys, hello, I'm from the 70s. A pellet gun, you pump and pump and pump. There's a lead bullet in it and you shoot it and it can hurt you bad. This was a plastic pea. We have to go to court. <laughs> We had to go to court. Aaron Pastor Darling's going to court with his juvenile son, my delinquent boy. You know? So we show up. You know, he's just a kid, and, and the, the, there's a public defender, and, and I try to ask him questions. He goes, you know what? Just shut up, Mr. Darling. Well, I'm talking to your son. I'm like, hello, lady. Okay, Lord, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> Woo, baby. So we walk into the courtroom, and the judge does his little thing. He goes, okay, this is the case. Uh, blah, 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 versus blah, blah, blah. And he goes, uh, <laughs> and so the lawyer sits up, the prosecutor, whatever they are, the DA person, she goes, yes, we'd like to enter this uh, yellow plastic pea as evidence. <laughs> and the, the, uh, the, 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 the judge takes off his glasses. He, he looks about my age. He goes, <clears throat> uh, are you serious? He, then he goes this. My boys shoot me with these all the time at home. They have the same gun, ma'am. We are in court for this plastic pea shooting gun. Uh, yes, Your Honor. It uh, meets the definition of diameter written here in the code of being a firearm. <laughs> so, so what was happening was Mike and his little friend, his, their buddies, they were walking, and there was a tree trunk, a tree trunk, and they shot it at the tree trunk. Some neighbor, some little boys are out shooting guns in the neighborhood, and the cops said, well, anyway. So, <clears throat> I can laugh about it. Now, at the time, I wasn't laughing about it. Um, but I remember, you know, my son and I were talking about, in fact, that, that officer was pretty severely reprimanded. We didn't do anything. I, we heard through the grapevine. They got in a lot of trouble for throwing these kids on the ground and putting them in handcuffs for a plastic yellow pea shooter gun. Ah. At the same time, I told my son, I said, buddy, I said, first of all, your dad, we overreacted. And I apologize. I'm wrong. Secondly, sweetheart, there's two guys killing people in Maryland, and so the whole nation's on edge. And the timing couldn't have been worse. I don't blame you for going and having fun with your friend. When I was a kid, we used real pellet guns walking around the neighborhood shooting, you know. I'm like, wow. When I read this story, though, of this dear young woman, I reflected on my experience. And, and then I reflected, what, what, what would that have been like, you know, if someone had broken my son's arm or it had gotten even worse? Empathy. We've got to learn to put ourselves in the shoes of another person, in the shoes of another person. We've got to learn to really sincerely 
empathize and express compassion and understanding and not just put it off or make excuses for it because that person's experience is real. Let me share with you a practical one in marriage because I see this in marriage and, and our marriages can go so much deeper. And I want to give you an example of something that happened with Kathy and I, and then I'm going to close because I have so many other things to go over in the following weeks. And I really hope you'll come back because I'd really like to help you. I'd like to see our relationships get a lot better, a lot deeper. So, you know, Kathy and I, it's interesting as you're married, you just find out more things about each other sometimes. That is if you grow and you keep loving each other. It's like layers just keep, you find out new things. And so <clears throat> there's so one thing Kathy does for me every day. She gives me this back rub with this thumper thing. And um, every day, about 10 minutes. So I lay down and she rubs that thing in the small of my back and my bottom of my feet. And this particular day, she was a little extra chatty, and she said, Mark, did you, did you see that, uh, <clears throat> that story about those <clears throat> Muslim men who married those child brides like seven and eight years old? And, and I said, uh, no, but I've heard of it. She went on, again, because there are children in the audience tonight, <clears throat> I won't share it. She went on to share then pretty graphically what had happened to one of the little girls and how she died. And just Kathy, just she's rubbing my back. She says, you know, Mark, it, it, it brought back a flood of memories. So I'm laying there. I'm just, okay, Mark, put your listening ears on. I said, well, what memories, sweetheart? And she began to just pour out these things that happened to her when she was five and six, what happened eight and nine, little boys in the neighborhood, what happened when she was 15. <clears throat> and then there are other things that I won't share with you tonight, some, some tremendous injustices that have happened to my wife. I mean, tremendous injustices. And I realized that, that that thing that she read about brought back to her all of these things that she had had to live through. And, and of course, I know her. I know the kind of mama she's been, the kind of wife she's been to me, what she's overcome. Uh, I, it's just remarkable, actually. She just, she just doesn't um, fall apart over those things. So usually I take about a 20-minute nap after that. This particular day, I got up and I gave her a hug, and I said, sweetheart, I really appreciate you sharing that with me. Those had to be really, really painful uh, circumstances. Well, Kathy, you know, she wasn't crying or anything at the time, but <clears throat> she thanked me. So I laid down, I got up, I went back up to my office, and I crafted an email. It was a pretty long email, but basically here's what I did. And this is another thing that's very important in your relationships. Learn to absorb and observe what they went through, put it together, and then give them something in return. Give them some touching encouragement along their way. So, so I wrote, Dear Kathy, I was pondering as I laid there all that you've been through. I mean, really been through the scary, frightening injustices that you've dealt with. And I named them. <clears throat> and, and some of them are, well, they're all, they're all very huge. Some of you be ladies want to ask her sometime. I think you'd be quite moved if the things that she's been through. And then even as an adult, and even some things that happened to us at the hospital that were incredibly unjust and unbelievably painful when Jessica was ill. <clears throat> so I included all these things, and I said, Kathy, I am stunned by your sweet spirit that you have not allowed these things to poison you, to embitter you, to make you fall apart. I think you're one of the most remarkable. You are, for me, the most remarkable woman I have ever known. 
and I couldn't be prouder to be your husband. And one day, God is going to reward you for the pain and injustices and abuse that you have endured. I love you dearly. Well, there was more to it. Later on, I came in the house. And I said, honey, and she said, Mark, i just been sitting up here. I read this three times. That's how much it means to me, Mark. I read it three times. Do you take the time when people have shared things with you to get back with them, to make life observations about all they've endured? I'll never forget a time I was dealing with a woman. She came to my office. She said, Mark, I'm one of 13 kids. I was molested by my younger brother. I had so many things happen. I would, alcoholic family, and I would go up into the attic and I would light a prayer, light a candle, and I would pray Harold Mary's, begging that God could forgive me and clean me up. And then I'd knock the candles over and start to cry because I knew I was so filthy, God couldn't accept me. When she finally got pregnant at 16 years old and her baby was about one and a half, her drug addict husband came home. She didn't have something ready he wanted, and he drop-kicked the little baby across the room. When he left, she got that baby, got her car, grabbed whatever she could get into a grocery sack, got into her car, and fled from Ohio to live on the streets here. I met her, my wife, and I had the chance to lead her to Christ. And I'll never forget when she told me this story, and I'll close with this. I looked at her, and I said, Samantha... I'm stunned by what you have had to live through. And I want you to know, I think it's a miracle that you haven't taken your own life. I think it's a miracle. The inner strength that somehow you have had to keep going, to live on the streets, to be here today, to have this conversation, I'm humbled, I'm awed by it, and, uh, and I believe God has you here for a reason. Anyway, she just left almost floating on air because no one had ever complimented her or believed in her or really took her story seriously. Empathy. We've got to learn to empathize and walk in another's shoes if you want your relationships to be deeper and more connected. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight. Thank you, God, for what you do in people's lives. Lord, I I, am... I just thank you, God, for the special people you've put in my life, the love and understanding that has been shown to me. I pray that we grow and we grow deeper in our friendships and relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.